morning we're going to continue our series of No Other Name. And um, in most times in history, a person's name was a very important part of who they were. Um, this is certainly true in the Bible. And um, it both works both ways. Often the name of the person tells us something about what they were like. And very often God would instruct people um, to give their children certain names because that was part of who they were going to be. In these days, it's a little bit different. Um, in our culture, um, the, the names that people have, um, we don't link so dramatically with who they are or their personality. Although I'd like to suggest that there are still remnants of that culture even in our culture. So, for example, when I look through the church directory, some of us have names that relate in the distant past to various occupations like Smith and Knight and Mason and Miller. Um, they are all um, echoes of a past time when our names reflected of who we are. And, and an interesting way to think about names is this. Um, whilst we don't place a lot of emphasis on the meaning of a name, sometimes when names have different connections to what a person is or what a person does. We stop and we think about it. Um, let me give you some examples. Um, I remember years ago um, there was a politician named Jim Killen and I just happened to be listening to the ABC and he was talking about his history growing up in Dolby. And he said that he was the father of, uh, he was the son of a dentist and there was only two dentists in Dolby at that time. His dad, Dr. Killen, and the other one was Dr. Punch. And you know how we sort of sometimes when we hear names, we sort of think, oh, there's a, there's a jar there. In fact, I broke a tooth years ago down the Gold Coast and I was referred to a dentist and his name was Dr. Yakimov. And, um, and, and so sometimes we sort of um, just have those echoes of names. Works another way too. When I was a young school teacher, I went to Biloela. And I reckon that the principal of the school gave the staff jobs according to their names. So he would look at your name and then give you a job. So, for example, the lady in charge of home economics was Mrs Cook. The, the lady who was in charge of the school lockers for the students, her name was Mrs Keys. Now, I was Mr Ball. You know what job I had? Sportsmaster. The only one that didn't quite match was we had a guy on staff called Peter O'Byrne and I was sure he would be in charge of fire drill but um, he never had that job. So um, names are interesting things. But as we look in our series on the Old Testament, um, so much that we know about the character of God comes to us through the names that he was given. And the names in the Old Testament carry through to the New Testament and help us so much to understand who God really is. And so today it's my privilege to share with you in terms of another one of the names in our series, Yahweh Jireh. And to look at the name of God, we've heard from other speakers that Yahweh was the personal name of God. It was how God was identified. In fact, in Jewish culture, it was such a, a sacred and reverend name that they didn't actually speak it out loud. And in fact, down through the ages, we've tended to honour that tradition. And so when we read the Bible, we don't read Yahweh. We read Lord in italic or in capital letters to mention that this was the personal name of God. 
And so today we're looking at Yahweh and the name that we're looking at is the name Jireh. wonder what Jireh means. Well, if you're of a certain generation, you'll remember we used to have scripture in songs where we used to sing songs that would help us to remember scripture. And one of the songs we used to sing was called Jehovah Jireh. And Jehovah is the anglicised version of the name Yahweh. And Jireh is what we're looking at today. And it goes something like this, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. He will give his angels charge over me. Jehovah Jireh cares for me. And so we see this name, Yahweh Jireh, God our provider. And so this morning we're going to look in scripture and we're going to consider both the origins of that name and then the application of that name in the time of Jesus and then in our own time as well. So if you have a Bible or you want to follow on the screen, um, Genesis 22 is where we're going to start because here is where we see this name and there's a story, an account there that helps us to understand the significance of the name Jehovah Jireh. One other thing I need to say, I'm going to use the word amazing a number of times in this sermon and I don't want you to tune out because I want to say more than amazing because the story in Genesis 22, the account of Abraham being told to go and sacrifice his son to God up on an altar, um, there's a whole lot of words that run through my head as I read through these passages. It's amazing, it's mind-blowing, it's astounding, it's quite confronting, it's remarkable, it's um, stunning. There's, there's, when you read this passage, I don't want you to say, oh, it's just another story from the Bible. There are so many things in this passage which almost make us stand back and say, that is really, and I'm going to use the word amazing, but you can add, all those other words as well. And so let's start with the beginning in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. And the first thing I want you to notice is this, that in this amazing story, the first thing is God has an amazing request for Abraham. Verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. And he replied, then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you what a totally amazing thing for God to ask Abraham to do it's mind-blowing really when you know the history of Abraham Abraham was a person who was called out by God Abraham was somebody who God had made promises that from him would come a great nation um, that they would be a blessing to the world. And all of these promises were tied up in his son, Isaac, who was his heir. And here he is, God saying to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, it's easy at this stage to go off onto a tangent and to think, what's God doing here? Why would God even entertain the idea of sacrificing children? 
And if you read in other parts of the scripture, you'll know that it's a, a abhorrence to God, the concept of sacrificing children. But this passage is not about how to get rid of offspring. This passage is about a test that God says, and that's what it says. Um, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham, and then the story unfolds. So this is not about child sacrifice. This is about the willingness of Abraham to do exactly what God asks him to do. And so as we read through this passage, um, we see that Abraham is tested. And if Abraham is truly to be tested, it's not as though God said to Abraham, Abraham, this is all just a, a demonstration or an acting out. For Abraham, the issue must have been real. He really was asked if his relationship with God was going to be more significant even than the relationship with his son. And in the next few verses, we see an amazing response. So Abraham hears from God. He clearly knows that it's the voice of God. You and I would be going, say, is God really saying that? But the relationship that Abraham has built up with God, he knows God's voice and he is responding. And so early the next morning, immediately, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. And he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. If we were in Abraham's place, how would we respond? If God asked us to do something that seemed to be for us a great sacrifice, I don't know about you, but I'd be starting to say, well, God, do you really mean that? Surely you must mean something else. The amazing response we see here is that when God tells him what to do, the next morning he gets up and does what God has asked him to do. There's no doubt in him, to him that God is telling him to do it and there's no doubt that his response is complete obedience and trust in God. He believes that God is in control even though the scenario that we're looking at or the situation seems to be um, quite out there and quite wild. The next thing I want you to know in this passage is that Abraham has an amazing faith in God. Even though he doesn't understand where all this is leading and what is going to happen, he still puts his faith and trust in God and so he moves forward doing what God asks him to do. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife and the two of them went together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Logical question. And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. My son and the two of them went there together. It's amazing, isn't it, that Abraham, despite the cost is going to be involved, is still willing to push forward with what God is asking him to do. 
How would you feel as a parent, knowing the scenario as Abraham does, when his son starts to ask him these questions? You know, Isaac is um, a reasonably aged young lad, carrying the firewood, um, carrying on with conversation, and he asks the logical question. And all Abraham can say to Isaac is this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And they continued to go through. He had a faith in God that was unshakable. But you know what? There's something else in this story. It's not only Abraham, but Isaac himself. Something amazing about him. He has amazing trust in his father. You know, when I read the story, um, you think of Isaac... He must start to think, what's going on here? What's going to happen? And I don't think he is powerless in this situation. Um, and so it says in verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Um, Isaac had amazing trust in his father because he didn't run away. He, he, he remained in this situation which was just so perilous um, to his own um, life. Another part of the story that's amazing, there's an amazing intervention by God. It says, verse 10, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, that's Abraham. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. It's an amazing intervention. If you can just picture the, the picture that's drawn for us from Scripture, um, it seems as though that he's almost in the act with the knife of sacrificing his son. And at the last minute, so to speak, God intervenes and he speaks into the situation and he tells him to stop. A um, couple of things here. Abraham must have had such a relationship with God that he didn't, like you and I, he didn't take long time to understand what God was saying because time was of the essence. And when God spoke, he responded and in the passage we read, God actually um, commends him because he passed the test. Remember, the story is not about sacrifice. This story is about obedience to what God has called people to do. Um, it makes it clear that God is testing Abraham's obedience and faith in him. And Abraham is passing this test. He was prepared to surrender all for God. And then the last part of the passage where the name actually comes into being, verse 13, we see God's amazing provision. So this whole thing has been acted out and meanwhile God has, God has gone ahead and he's provided. And Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called the place, and here it is, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God had already gone before. God had known and put a ram in place 
at just the right place and just the right time to provide. And so God becomes known as God the provider. And Abraham um, is a picture of that. But the Genesis 22 story, and we could draw some truths out of it for our own sense of walk with God and our obedience to God, it is like a foreshadowing of an even greater um, account, a greater incident that would happen through the life of Jesus. As much as Abraham sacrificing Isaac or being asked to do that was a test, it actually pictured the reality of the world that God created. Um, we probably see it most in terms of the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, we see the reality of which Genesis 22 gives us a forerunner or a picture. Genesis, um, John 3, 16 is often described as the gospel in a nutshell. It, it's like encompassing the message of the Bible. And it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, what Abraham went through was a test, but it was also a picture of what God was in fact going to do. God was going to offer his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on our behalf as a sacrifice so that we could have relationships with God. And if you read in John chapter 3, the context of the um, verse 16 comes in the discussion that Jesus has with Nicodemus. And it's all about how is it that we can be in relationship with God. And there's a part of the story in about verse 14 where Jesus explains that he has to be lifted up so that people can come into relationship with God. And he uses a picture from the book of Numbers. Um, and at verse 14 of chapter 3 says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the, man, the Son of Man must also be lifted up. And that story in Numbers was a situation where the people of God, Israel, um, were invaded by poisonous snakes and they were biting the people and the people were dying as a result of being bitten um, by those poisonous snakes. Um, there's a whole story about why they were in that situation, but the reality was that they were facing this plague and it was causing great loss of life. And so the people cry out to God in their time of need. And God gives Moses an instruction. He says, um, craft a bronze serpent and place it on a pole in the middle of the camp and tell the people that when they are bitten and when they are in danger, they are to look to the serpent and they will be healed. And so there were many lives that were saved because they looked to that snake and were healed. There were some lives that weren't saved. Not because God wasn't able to heal all, but because some people were more determined to look to their own resources than to look to the snake and put their faith in God healing them. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus takes that story to talk about himself. That his death on our behalf is like him being raised up and that every person who looks to him, who puts their faith in him, can become healed from the, the plague of sin which is infecting all of our lives. You know, as I thought about this sermon in the last week or two, I thought there's 
sort of a, a side but a relevance of that picture in our own world at the moment where people are battling with this virus that seems to be um, capturing so many in the world. And, and part of the story is that we look to ourselves to solve our problems when God says that when we are in those problems, we need to look to him. And so there is also great opportunity in our world for the moment as people realise that they are not in control of their own lives and will seek to reach out to God. So if God is our provider, then Jesus Christ is the greatest provision that God has made for you and for me. And if we just take a little while to think about the story of, um, of Abraham and then how Christ is provided as a sacrifice for us, we'll see how the picture in Genesis 22 comes into full focus in the life of Christ. So for what was for Abraham was a test, in the life of Jesus and for God, it was real. Much is made of Isaac being Abraham's one and only son whom he loves. But we know that Jesus was God's son, who he loved dearly, his beloved son. In fact, when Jesus walked this earth and he was baptised and he came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. While both stories focus on the great cost to the fathers, there has to be trust and cooperation of the son. That was true in Isaac, but we see it in full bloom in the life of Jesus. Jesus wasn't um, just caught up in events. Jesus knew God's plan from the very beginning. He was part of God's plan. When he faced the cross and was going to pay the ultimate sacrifice for you and for me, he prays to the Father and he says in Mark 14, Abba, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. The cost is so great. But he submits and he says this, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abraham's faith was foundational for the establishment of the people of Israel, God's special chosen people in the Old Testament. Jesus' death was the um, fulfilment of the promise that all nations would be blessed through Christ. In Abraham's story, God provided. Yahweh Jireh provided a ram for the sacrifice. In the greatest events of all history, God provided a sacrifice in Christ on the Calvary for you and for me. And so when we think about this term, Yahweh Jireh, God is my provider. The greatest big picture that you can have is that his provision in Christ so that we might have a relationship with him is indeed him being Yahweh Jireh. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there is a, a big picture of God providing. But you know there's an everyday expression of God providing as well. God is the great provider in Christ. 
But God, in his relationship with us, also wants to be our provider in each of our own circumstances and situations. God cares for our individual journeys. And I'm sure if we had time for people to give testimonies, people would be able to share times in their life where God asked them to do something and they had to step out in faith, not knowing how things would be provided for their journey. And yet God has been faithful in his provision. Let me give you one story, one story of many. Um, I sometimes, with a smile on my face, say that my wife Annette and I met at high school. Um, that is true. I was the um, accounting, geography, economics teacher and she was the um, math science teacher at Clifton High School. We were well into our 20s, but we did meet at high school. Um, I spent the first six years of my working life as a high school teacher in the education department. And then during the last year of my teaching, God spoke into my life and indicated that he wanted me to leave my teaching career and to go and study at our Baptist college down at Brookfield um, as a response of faith in him. Did God call me to be a pastor? No, I had, in fact, it was quite the opposite. I didn't have a sense of call that I wanted to be a pastor but I had a really strong sense of call that God was saying, leave your job and go and study my word. And so for two years, that was the plan. Um, I think Annette must have really loved me because um, my proposal was along the lines of, dear, um, we should get married and then after a few months, I'm going to resign my job and have no income and move down to the Bible college and we'll live in the Bible college and, and, and you can support us as you continue to teach and whatever. And she still said yes. What a blessing wives are as partners in being obedient to God. But this picture of God's provision um, came into focus, I think, because as I was finishing up um, or towards the time when I resigned my position with the education department, I got called into the principal's office. Um, growing up in Anala, even as a teacher, you got scared when you get called into the principal's office. But um, he called me in and he said, Stephen, shut the door. And he shut the door and he looked at me and he said, Stephen, I just want to tell you, I think you're a fool. Beg your pardon? He said, I think you are making a very big mistake by resigning your position as a teacher because you have wonderful prospects in teaching. You know, a few years and you'll work your way up through heads of departments and um, in areas in schools and you could have a good career and here you are putting all that aside to go to Bible college and you don't even want to be a pastor. You're just doing it because God said it. And I guess I might have had um, an opportunity to go, well, maybe you're right, boss. Maybe I should be more careful and I, maybe I could serve God in some other way. But when God asks us to take a step of faith, then we need to take that step of faith, trusting that he will be Yahweh Jireh, my provider, and we don't have to have everything done in that way. The decision to be faithful to God um, has costs but if we believe that God is calling us to do it, then we should step out and do it, trusting in his provision. Now, this is not uncommon ground if you are a follower of Jesus. 
Um, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus talks to his disciples. Um, he's a great teacher. And one of the things that he had to teach his followers then and his followers now is that he is in control and that when he calls us out, he will provide. And so in, from verse 22 on in Luke chapter 12, there's a whole passage there when he talks about trusting in God's provision and not to worry about the future. Um, he goes on and uses the illustration from nature. In verse 27 onwards, he says, Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And listen to this. And do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. What a beautiful picture that God is saying, when you put your trust in me, I will be your provider. I will be Yahweh Jireh. You might wonder what happened after two years in Bible college. Sometimes I think God has a sense of humour. Um, after two years at Bible college, they were good years. Um, we studied the scripture. Um, at the end of the two years, I still didn't have a call to pastoral ministry as such. Just wanted to be doing what God wanted me to. And so the education department, bless them, re-employed me. But they re-employed me as a consultant working out of um, regional office, gave me a lot more money than I would have had before, um, supplied a car. You know, I could have spent years working my way up in the system and it was almost as God said, as you are faithful to me, you haven't missed out on any of the experiences in your career and so I had lots of opportunities to serve God. Um, after, after three years of doing that, I resigned and went back into pastoral ministry. That's okay. But God does provide what we need. And so this morning as we come to reflect on this name of God, Yahweh Jireh, I think what we've considered about trusting God is to hold on to the reality that he promises that he will provide our needs. In fact, he says that if we put him first, then all these things other things will be added unto us. And I think there's two levels of provision. There's, if you like, the, the big picture, um, eternal level of provision. Uh, the provision of Christ as being our bridge between our own existence and relationship with God. And that is a wonderful provision. And for many of us, maybe we've already accepted that and said, yes, Lord, what you've done for me on the cross stands for me. I want to be in relationship with God through Christ. And so that's wonderful. But there may be some who are listening online or who are here today where even now you are still running your own life. You haven't given control. You haven't surrendered to him. And so when we say that God is our provider, we need to accept his provision. He doesn't force it on anybody. He waits for us to accept. That's the nature of a relationship where we accept his offer of salvation. But as I was preparing, I also thought that there's probably another challenge it's so easy in this world that we live in 
that we accept Christ's eternal provision and yet when it comes to our everyday provision, we can be so distracted in providing for ourselves that we lose sight of allowing God to provide in our situation. Sometimes we can become distracted so that instead of hearing God's voice and stepping out in faith in what he wants us to do, we have a whole lot of reasons why we can't really do what God wants us to do because we need to do things that will provide for our future. And so when we think about Yahweh Jireh this morning, we need to think about the fact that God says this, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. This morning as we conclude and as we come and share in worship and as we go out into our worlds where God has led us, there is no more important challenge than this, that we put our faith in God, that we accept his provision, that we hear his voice, and that we do what he asks us to do. And then we will have the privilege of seeing how our Heavenly Father provides for each of our needs. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. And as we do that, um, we're just going to pray. Father, that old verse still echoing in my head, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me. Lord, I pray this morning that um, wherever we are located geographically, that, Father, we can say those words in the personal tense. Jehovah Jireh, our provider, your grace is sufficient for me, for us, for us individually, for us as a families, for us as a church, that, Father, we might hold on to that and we might see how you might work through the obedience of your people. And so, Lord, as we go into this world, we thank you for your provision. Even when we don't yet see where it's going to come from, we're going to put our trust that you will provide. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.